This podcast is sponsored by Alt-Legal. Alt-Legal, easy to use IP docketing with powerful automation, deadline calculation, and reporting. Hello and welcome to the Alt Trademarks Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Samendinger. On this episode, I was joined by Nikki Black. Nikki is a legal tech evangelist for my case and also an avid legal tech blogger. You can find Nikki on Twitter at Nikki Black, N-I-K-I Black, or reach her by email at Nikki.black at mycase.com. You can also find out more about Alt Legal on Twitter at AltLegalHQ and at AltLegal.com. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Hi, Nikki. Thanks for joining me. Sure thing. Looking forward to it. Um, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today because, like me, you also work in legal tech, and uh, you're pretty prolific on the topic of law and technology, writing on blogs, and um, you give some talks, and you're active on Twitter. So just before we sort of get into what we're going to talk about on the podcast today, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you got interested in legal tech in general. Uh, Sure. I in 2005, I, I had, was returning to the law after a short hiatus. I took about two and a half years off. Uh, prior to that, I had been a public defender for four years, and then I was a civil litigator for four years. And um, I read an article that indicated, a study that indicated that women who took time off from their profession after about three years would have a harder time getting back into their profession. So I was two and a half years out, and I decided to hang a shingle doing contract work for other lawyers just to sort of get back into things on a part-time basis. And um, so I created my website and I've always been pretty proficient with technology. So I created a website and I had lunch with a cousin of mine who was a lawyer to let him know what I was doing. And as he was walking away, he looked over his shoulder after lunch and said, you know, I heard about this thing called blogging and NPR this morning. You might want to check it out. And Mm -hmm. so in addition to, hanging a virtual shingle doing work for other lawyers, I started blogging as well. And this was in 2005. There were not a lot of legal bloggers. And initially, I wrote about New York cases that were coming down. And then I, from there, I had a body of work that was, uh, that I created on the blog. And I volunteered to write um, an article for the Bar Association and for the local legal newspaper. And um, after I'd written the article for the local legal newspaper, about five months later, the editor reached out and offered to um, have me write a weekly column. And initially, I focused on New York cases, but I started to write more and more about technology because blogging was proving to be really useful to me. So I would write about why blogging was valuable for lawyers, and then I started um, using social media. I was one of the first lawyers on Twitter and Facebook. And so I started writing about the value of social media to lawyers and the fact that it was not just a fad and that lawyers needed to understand it. And from there, you know, the articles that I was writing and the content I was creating led to um, my ultimately writing two different books. I wrote Social Media for Lawyers. I co-authored it with Carolyn Alephant, and that was published by the ABA in 2010. And in 2012, I, uh, my Cloud Computing for Lawyers book was published by the ABA. And also at the same time, a local judge reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to co-author Criminal Law in New York, which isn't tech, but that's where my, uh, I took over for her co-author, and that's where my third book comes from, so that's a Thompson Reuters treatise. So, you know, I just ended up in technology because I was using technology, and I started, you know, blogging and online tools. I started trying to tell lawyers why it was so important to stay on top of these changes and why they would be relevant to their practice and help them become better lawyers. 
And currently so, you're at my case as the legal tech uh, evangelist. So what exactly does right. that entail? Um, what's that role like? What do you what do you do for them is in that capacity? Well, I was hired by my case in 2012, um, right after my cloud computing for lawyers book came out. Um, at the time, it was a small startup, and I was the fourth employee, mm -hmm. and or the fourth person, first employee. It was acquired in 2012, um, six months later, by Appfolio, which is, um, uh, and Appfolio had its IPO in 2015. So, and now the in my the my case side of the business has grown to about 100 employees. So we've grown really quickly. And my title ultimately ended up being uh, legal technology evangelist. Initially, I had other um, titles and we eventually settled on that one. Um, and what I do as a legal technology evangelist is what I've always done for my case and what I was doing before I came to my case. I spend a lot of time focusing on educating lawyers about the intersection of law and tech. So I do that by speaking at um, CLE, uh, CLEs across the country. I speak anywhere from eight to 13, 15, 14 times a year, depending on the year. I, wow, that's a lot of um, uh, speaking engagements. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do a lot of speaking. I um, write my weekly article for the Daily Record still. I write for Above the Law. I often write for the GP Solo e-reports, e that's an ABA. Um, I also write for some other ABA sections too, either for the print or online, mag um, online magazines or publications. Um, so I, I do that. I educate lawyers about the intersection of law and tech in those different ways. And then I also um, do work internally within the company. I um, advise products about um, different features and how, you know, they might help lawyers. And I also work with marketing a lot as well. So, and I also am sort of the expert on the industry. And so I track industry trends and where things are going and let the different leaders uh, members of the leadership team know when I come across stuff that I think is relevant that we need to talk about. So, I mean, this goes hand in hand with that. Um, today, I wanted to pick your brain about developments in legal tech and the hurdles adopting uh, in attorneys adopting some technologies. And since, you know, that's the world that you live in and you're very prolific in that world. Um, so I guess as sort of just uh, some groundwork, what are some of the legal tech trends or some emerging technologies or developments that you're seeing a lot of buzz about that you find particularly exciting in the legal space? Well, the, I always like the stuff that's up and coming. Um, so in the last two years, I've been really focused on wearable tech and mm -hmm. uh, Apple Watch in particular. And, you know, what's been interesting to me is that sort of a, that's sort of a sleeper technology because you don't see a lot written about it except when it first came out. You don't hear much about it, except just more and more watches are showing up on people's wrists. And I'm waiting, I'm hoping that the ABA tech report will actually ask that question, their legal tech survey will actually ask about wearables. They haven't done that up until this year. Because um, I'd be really interested in seeing how many lawyers actually use wearable tech, like Apple Watch. Anecdotally, I just wrote a piece on Above the Law. Um, I belong to a legal online legal forum for lawyer mothers. That's really mm -hmm. a very large forum with over 8,000 people. And someone posted about the Apple Watch. And it was really interesting to me to see how many women said they used it and how many said that they used it for the reasons that I predicted women lawyers in particular would want to use it when it first came out in 2015. So I wrote a follow-up article on Above the Law. And there was also, at the same time, a piece came out indicating that 30 million watches had been sold. So that's, it just strikes me as a sleeper technology that has a lot of use to lawyers, not just women lawyers. So that's one, and then the other is um, AI. That's one I've been more interested in because it's um, sort of 
coming to fruition now, and there's a lot of uh, movement in that space. Yeah, so I guess um, that's one of the topics that I had uh, flagged that I wanted to ask yeah. you about. Um, I know a lot of the buzz about it has just been, you know, robots are taking over and they're going to take all our jobs. But I think for the most part, what's actually uh, people are sort of landing on as the most realistic path is that it's a new technology and a lot of people are still figuring out how it fits into new industries. Um, but it might be very helpful, and it already is show, uh, proving to be very helpful in automating some just small, tedious tasks. So can you just talk a little bit about the AI trends and your thoughts about it coming into the legal field and maybe even if you have any predictions on how that will impact the field or manifest within the legal field? That'd be great, too. Well, so I just wrote a post on the My Case blog about um, AI and how there's already a lot of automation tools available, particularly in practice management software, which is what my company um, creates for lawyers. Mm -hmm. You know, there's already a lot of automation um, abilities built in, capabilities built into this type of software that isn't necessarily AI. So there are already a lot of things lawyers can do to automate their practices, whether it's, um, you know, creating workflows for different types of cases that have built-in deadlines or document automation and assembly, you know, with templates and, you know, there's a lot of different things lawyers can already do. Um, and then, you know, where AI comes in is it's not just automation. It's intelligent automation. And the reason AI is so exciting right now is because a lot of the different technologies that are needed to truly make it useful are all sort of coming of age at the same time. And, it, you know, that's why the smartphone suddenly emerged in 2007. It's because certain technologies made it so that you could actually have small enough processors and small enough um, memory chips and and that a lot of it could be done in the cloud and off of the phone. Otherwise, if, you know, we wouldn't have been able to have it in such a small piece of equipment. And the same thing is happening with AI, um, but in a more theoretical sense because it's not a piece of equipment, it's programs, you know, software. But w what's happening is there's a couple different areas where it has a ton of potential and um, some companies are doing some really interesting things, but I really think it is in its infancy. So, for example, legal research I just wrote a piece on Above the Law. I interviewed um, like, um, some of the people high up on product at Lexus and also at um, Thomson Reuters, and they're doing some really interesting stuff with legal research, but they're just, you know, uh, 2015 is when they rolled, rolled out some rudimentary stuff, and they're really trying to um, be a little more in-depth and creative about how they're doing it, and they have lots of different plans. Lexus just rolled out some of the AI stuff. Westlaw came out with it in uh, 15, but Lexus also just acquired um, a Ravel law and also um, Lex Machina. So they have sort of, they're sort of setting the groundwork to build off of AI. So there's a lot of possibilities in uh, legal research and also data analytics, which is part of what Lexus is doing. And I know Westlaw is looking into that as well. And then another area is what Law Geeks, for example, does, which is um, contract analytics and creation. And that's also particularly, uh, that's, all, that's something that's actually readily available, and some of the companies are doing a really inter interesting work with it. Um, and, and in terms of legal research, case tech has some really interesting stuff that they're doing as well. So there's a lot of potential, um, and I think in the next year or two, you're really going to see a lot of it come to fruition. And at the end of the day, what it's going to do is ultimately um, remove some of the mundane and more tedious activities from lawyers' plates so they can focus on more of the interesting analytical aspects of practicing. Right. Yeah, it's really interesting. It feels like sort of in those capacities a very natural progression from some of the automation that already exists. So um, I think that 
people will be surprised at how easily it kind of fits right into their practice based off of their, you know, the practices they already have in place. Yeah, I think you're right. In general, you also, you talk a lot about lawyers in tech and the kind of intersection and how lawyers are adopting tech. In general, do you see when lawyers are looking to bring tech into their practice um, that there are hurdles that a lot of people face either at adoption or implementation that sort of hinder lawyers from having, you know, a fully, I was going to say a fully tech-savvy practice, but maybe a practice that uh, benefits from technology as much as it could? I think there's a lot of hurdles. I belong to this solo small section of our local bar association and, um, you know, the, and we're in a, I'm in Rochester, New York, which is New York, which is a mid-sized metropolitan region. It's not a large metropolitan area. So I think that the smaller cities tend to be a little slower when it comes to lawyers and tech adoption. And, you know, there's all sorts of hurdles that they share with me (laughs) that they experience when it comes to tech. And it's really interesting to hear it right from the horse's mouth. You know, some of them just want nothing to do with it. They've always, a lot of them tend to be older that say this. They've always practiced law. It's fine just the way it is. Thank you very much. They got, they're going to be retiring in a couple of years or they're reducing their caseloads. And so some of them just don't even want to deal with it. Um, Mm -hmm. Others want to use technology, but they're overwhelmed at the prospect. Um, And I think that's oftentimes the bulk of lawyers that, you know, that practicing law is difficult in and of itself. You have to stay on top of your practice areas and changes in the law. You have a, especially if you have a solo or small practice, you're busy. You are doing a lot of the administrative stuff and the other aspects of running a practice that you never learned in law school. Um, and the concept of trying to understand these rapid changes in tech and then figure out what's right for you and how to implement, in your, implement it into your practice is really can be a little overwhelming and it's a really big challenge. So, um, I think that's the biggest challenge for lawyers. And and then the other one is the more intuitive the tech is, the easier it is. And so I think that it's key to try the platforms out and figure out which ones really are intuitive and have a shorter learning curve than others. So, but it's not easy. Right. Yeah. And I mean, so once they have, you know, sort of gone over those hurdles and they've decided that you know, tech, they, they can take the plunge and embrace tech. Um, what to you seems to be like the biggest benefit of doing so? I know that for some things it's just, you know, automation, it saves you some time, but it seems there's also a lot of trends where this makes people more mobile or they can adopt more non-traditional payment structures or client communication structures. Um, do you see any of those benefits being, you know, um, really standouts for adopting tech or any sort of trends on the benefits of adopting uh, tech in a firm? Well, I think there's, I mean, cloud computing, I wrote, when I wrote my cloud computing book, I covered all the different benefits. And so um, I always, when I speak about cloud computing, I always tell my audience to go check my book or my writings before 2012, because I, you know, I work for a cloud computing company now. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but you'll find that if you read what I wrote before, I, was working for this company I say the same thing I say now so and that is that there are tremendous benefits to cloud computing and a lot of the things that you touched on are really because of um, cloud computing and the idea that your law firm's data is not stored on um, a premise-based server like a server in your closet or in the basement it's stored on a server owned by a third party that you access through an internet connection on your smartphone or your computer or your tablet and so what that allows you to do is access your firm's data no matter where you are through a reliable, secure connection. So 
you can enter, and a lot of them, most practice management software allows you to enter billable time no matter where you are, so you can track time and enter it on your smartphone so you don't lose track of your billable hours and you can bill them. And then when it comes to billing, once you enter that time, it's time in, it's automatically associated with an invoice. You pull the invoice up, you edit it, you send it through the software, client receives it, the client can pay using online, using credit card or debit card. So it simplifies and streamlines the billing process. You get paid faster. You can set up automatic reminders if the bill's not paid that goes out to your client. You can communicate with your clients through secure portals, which in light of some recent ethics decisions, um, that can protect you from um, at the border when you're trying to cross the border from overzealous um, border agents. And also, it, when you're dealing with particularly sensitive information, ABA Opinion 477 recently indicated that certain information um, you know, may need to be um, dealt with in different ways and that email might not suffice. So you may need to use a secure portal or use encrypted communication for certain types of client data. So at the end of the day, you'll have, you know, you have more secure communication with your clients. They can access information through the portal. They can upload and download documents if you allow them to. And it streamlines your communication, reduces calls to the office, but some self-help and puts everything in one place. So there's an incredible amount of benefits because of cloud computing and technology that um, lawyers have available to them if they just um, take advantage of it. And are there any concerns specifically, I guess, with cloud computing? I'm thinking the first thing that comes to mind would be any potential ethical concerns for switching to that kind of um, platform for managing your firm? Well, there absolutely are. There, um, the third part of my book addresses the security and ethical concerns. And, you know, at this point, more than, um, I, I want to say it's like 22 or 23 states have addressed the ethics of cloud computing. They've all said that lawyers can use cloud computing. Um, they all establish the same standard, which is that lawyers have to take reasonable efforts to ensure that confidential client data stays secure. Um, and then they go about that in different ways. Some of them have you ask specific questions. Others provide more general guidelines. But at the end of the day, the lawyer's duty is to thoroughly vet the third-party provider that houses the information for them. But um, in many ways, that's not different. That's no different than what lawyers have always been doing when they outsource document storage to third parties or use a process server. You know, you have an obligation to vet your employees and vet um, third-party contractors that you give access to confidential client data. And you do the same thing with cloud computing providers. Some of the questions are a little different. But at the end of the day, you need to ensure that the data is going to be um, secure, that there's, you know, backup, zero redundant backup to different um, uh, coasts or different geographic regions, that it's frequent backups, um, you know, and you just have to ask a series of questions. I include them in my um, cloud computing book. I have them listed online as well. And, there, you know, there's plenty of other people that provide um, questions for vetting providers. But so that's really what your primary obligation is when you do to make the move to the cloud. And I'll link to I'll link to your book as well in the show notes for anyone who wants to look it up and, and get more information on that. Um, and then in general, do you just have, I guess, any advice based off your experience, you know, dealing with all these lawyers and all these different types of tech? Um, any general advice for people who want to adopt tech, I guess, just generally or just bring more tech into their practice? Well, there's lots of great resources, whether it's um, the ABA's books. They have a lot of books. Um, there's a series of books they've released in recent years 
you know, the iPad in one hour, social media or Twitter in one hour, you know, different books in one hour to help you get up to speed on certain topics um, that are tech related. So that's a good resource. There's plenty of blogs online that, you know, the above the law where I write, um, there's a number of tech columnists, um, myself included, where you can follow those posts, um, you know, click on the technology tab at the top and follow those posts. Um, Bob Ambrosi's blog, Law Sites, is a great blog to read to stay on top of tech. You know, there's a bunch of online sites like that. So, I mean, what I typically recommend lawyers do is, I mean, to spending 15, 20 minutes a day, one way or another, um, learning about different aspects of legal technology. And so if you just spend a, take a few bites a day to get information on tech and learn about it, then over a period of time, after a couple of months, you're going to start to feel more proficient. And that might be the way to start, the time to start implementing the um, information you've learned and using some additional tech in your practice. Great. Perfect. Um, and to wrap up my interviews, I usually like to ask the guest a series of rapid-fire questions just for fun. You ready? Sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, where do you get your legal news? Well, one of the things I do for my case, uh, first of all, I maintain my own brand online, but also my case and friends. So I spend um, a good part of every morning going through my RSS feed. And that is where all of the different blogs that I like to read are located that deal with legal technology, practice management. So through my RSS feed, which is um, uh, Feedly is the one that I like to use. You like. Um, and what's your favorite social media platform? Well, it used to be Twitter. I'm finding Facebook's a lot more social these days, um, and that's often where you have better conversations. But I'm particularly interested in LinkedIn now because I have amassed a large number of followers. I have about 120,000 followers on LinkedIn right now, and most of them are in the legal tech space. So I'm, I've been trying to find ways to make use of that more. Um, Twitter I've always liked. I have 25,000 followers or close to that on my personal account. and but it's tending to be more of a source of information rather than communication, which is how it used to be. So I don't interact on that as much, and I've been looking at LinkedIn a little more. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I feel the same way. LinkedIn's kind of been on the ride. I've been getting more and more articles from there recently. Um, yeah. I never used to. Yeah. If you weren't a lawyer, what would your job be? I think I'd probably be a journalist. I mean, I, and I'm basically a legal tech journalist at this point, and writing is my, I think, my biggest strength. And so... I probably would either. I think I'd be a journalist. I think it'd be some sort of nonfiction writing. That makes sense. And if you do you have a productivity hack, something that you do when you really need to get some work done or write an article or something like that? I don't know if, a ha if I have a hack. It's more choose the right time, since I, especially for writing. I need to write at certain times of the day. Other times it's, my writing is a lot more muddled and it takes a lot longer to fix it the next day. So I need to, more than anything, know when to do certain tasks based upon my own sort of biometric is that <laughs> not sure if that's the right word but you know yeah, my own sure. <laughs> so. and then the last one is what's a good or maybe even the best piece of advice that you've been given um i think i think my that same cousin that told me about blogging that was a great piece of advice um when i was he was sort of a, he's a, been a mentor to me when i was leaving the public defender's office because um, I'd gotten really burnt out. I really almost just wanted to leave the legal field at that point because I was so burnt out. And he told me, you really need to try some other areas of law before you make that decision. And, I, you know, he was right. I think that working in that law firm made me a better lawyer, made me a better writer. It gave me an added 
perspective and um, on the pr practicing law and understanding how what it's like to run a practice that I actually use now and understanding how different types of lawyers practice, which comes in really handy um, with uh, the MyCase platform and knowing how lawyers in different practice areas are going to use it. So I think that was probably those two pieces of advice to start blogging and also to keep practicing law in a different area before I ship. <laughs> so I got some good advice from that cousin. He's a David Rothenberg. He's a lawyer in town here. Wonderful. And that's it. So thank you so much for joining us, Nikki. Do you have any parting words of wisdom, anything we left out that you want to give to the listeners for relief? I think just to embrace change. There's a lot of change happening right now and it's better to embrace it than to ignore it. And if anyone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do so? Probably my, uh, you can email me at um, nikki.black, N-I-K-I dot B-L-A-C-K at mycase.com. Okay. Thanks so much, Nikki. Yeah. Thank you. That's this week's episode. Thank you for joining us and see you next time.